on again. We're going to look at a passage in Hebrews. Hebrews is a, kind of a heavy book. Um, it can it can feel it can feel a bit difficult to um, to process because it's a weighty message. But I think that the more that we experience difficulty and confront hardship in our life, the more uh, the message that is in the book of Hebrews will. Um, will make sense and will speak to us, will speak to what we're going through. So just as a little bit of a preface to the passage that we're going to read in chapter 12, um, Hebrews is a book of encouragement and also of warning that was written to an audience that had been living the Christian life for a while, and it seems that some of them had become discouraged, weary of their struggle against sin and against uh, with suffering and hardship in their life, uh, maybe some of them had discovered that being a disciple of Jesus was harder than they had anticipated. They started out well, and they were excited, and it was good, and it was real, but a couple of years down the road, it was harder than they had anticipated, and they became discouraged, and they were in danger of going back to their previous life because the cost was just, it seemed to be too high for some of them. So the purpose of this book was to warn them not to drift away from the faith that they first had, to renew that faith and to remind them that there were others that had run the same race that they were running now who had endured, others who had endured to the point of death, and to show them that God was orchestrating all of their experiences, their struggles, whatever those struggles were, in a very intentional and carefully orchestrated way, for their good. That's the central message. It was for their good. In chapter 2, he tells them, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. So what you heard back there, lest we drift away from it. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? In chapter 3, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So you believed at first, and you grabbed a hold of this reality of who God is and your relationship to Him, and then after a while, you let unbelief steal that away. That's why we exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of us may be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin and our struggle against sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In chapter 4 he says, let us strive, work hard to enter into rest. So that none of us may fall away by the same sort of disobedience that the people of Israel had when they came right up to the, the border of the promised land. And they said, we don't think God can take us in there. So he said, work hard to enter into rest. And he further told them, since we have such a great high priest, one who has suffered like we suffer, and one who has experienced temptation like we experience temptation, since we have this kind of high priest, let us hold fast our confession and draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. To receive grace and find mercy to help in time of need. 
we can look back to our high priest and find mercy and receive grace to help in time of need. In chapter 6, he says, We desire each one of you to to show the same earnestness and to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that we may not be sluggish. So there's another thing we do. We we kind of get bogged down and we start getting sluggish. We don't run with the same intensity and passion that we started out with. We start getting bogged down with other things. Don't be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. And then in chapter 11, he lays out a whole landscape of people who had gone before these people that Hebrews is written to and who had endured. And he shows them how these people had struggled against sin and against um, human enemies. And he says that, that these were people that had grabbed a hold of faith. But chapter 11 doesn't end the way you might expect it. It says that some of these, even while they, they believed and they did not obtain the promise, yet... These people lost everything. It says they suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in sunder. They were killed with the sword. They went about in sheep and goats, skins, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains, dens and caves of the earth, of whom the world was not worthy. He's saying, you guys have these people as an example, and they didn't obtain the promise that had been given them. You, on the other hand, are living in that promise. And the reason that God set up throughout history all of these people who were looking forward to the promise, who did not receive it yet, but they maintained a strong faith, was that so that he could show this better thing, this better covenant, this superior high priest, this rest that we have entered into, this completed work of Christ. And he wasn't just setting the stage to say, look, these guys went through the same things you did, but he's saying, actually, they had it a lot worse than we do. And if they endured, if they didn't let go of the promise, then we can endure. So then in chapter 12, this sets the stage for chapter 12, where he says, Seeing then that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, people who who have endured before us, let us run with patience. Patience, endurance, steadfastness. Let's stick to it. We're in in this for the long haul. This is not just a short sprint. This is one of the most important characteristics for Christians to have. Do you ever think of it that way? Endurance needs to be at the top of the list of our characteristics as Christians, as disciples of Jesus. Patience. Stick it out when it's tough. It's easy to be excited about being a disciple of Jesus when... Great things are happening and we feel like we're on the top of the mountain. But a month down the road or a year down the road, you might not be on top of that mountain anymore. Are you going to have the endurance that you need to pull you through this? And a little bit later, we're going to see specifically how that 
it's not only a matter of the things that happen to us by happenstance, but that actually God is carefully orchestrating these events that come into our life, that test us as a means of discipline. And we're going to see what that discipline accomplishes in our life and how that we can remain steadfast. There's so many Christians who start out with passion and zeal and great ambitions for being a follower of Jesus, but then the sun comes out and it beats down on those ambitions and the seedlings start withering away because they don't have depth of soil. Jesus talked about those people who are not rooted, who don't have the depth of earth needed when the sun comes out and the, the going gets tough. This is not a 100-meter sprint that you complete in 15 seconds or maybe 12 seconds if you're George Rutler or nine and a half seconds if you're Usain Bolt, right? This is an ultra marathon. This is a race that we're in for the long haul. And when you prepare for a race like that, you prepare for it very differently. You don't just go out and run a 100-meter sprint every day to prepare for it. You, you prepare with a mindset that says, I'm in this for the long haul, even if I start out slowly, more slowly than I would like. I'm going to the very end. Did you know it actually takes a different set of muscles to run that kind of race? They operate differently. There's fast twitch muscles that are good for that 100-meter sprint. And they'll get you there. They can, they can operate with, um, with very little oxygen. But there's a different set of muscles that you need for that long race. And some of us may not have developed that kind of endurance very well yet. We've, we've done great for the short run, but then life gets tough and we just fall into discouragement and self-pity and we say, I'm not sure this is worth it. This is why we have to lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely our weariness sometimes is caused by the accessories that we hold on to. It's like, it's as though we're trying to run an ultra marathon with all kinds of baggage that we've chosen to carry along. And you know what? Um, if, if you've ever done a long hike and you've had a really heavy pack, like say 40 or 50 pounds, and you're you know, hiking up mountains, you put that pack off, all of a sudden you feel like, man, you could just go for forever. You feel so incredibly light. Uh, I remember one time we were doing a hike in the mountains of Honduras and um, Philip wasn't very old yet uh, there he is he wasn't very old yet and so some of us were like he had a backpack and we kept like putting rocks into his backpack and he didn't know it uh, and after a while he was carrying quite a bit of extra weight and you get accustomed to that weight and maybe you don't realize that that's what's slowing you down and it's making you weary you need to lay that aside because it's not helping you endure it's not helping you run the race I felt that this morning during the worship time. I was like, man, this week I just felt like I've been bombarded in so many different ways. And I just had to lay those weights aside and refocus on Christ, looking to Jesus. That's what he says next. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If you're weary, that's the antidote. Look to Jesus. Not only do we have the great cloud of witnesses who kept the faith through hardship. But we have Jesus, the best example, the author of our faith, 
and its perfecter. And we can recall his struggle against sin and against Satan. We looked at some of that uh, last week at how Jesus was bombarded with temptation, how Satan came to, to pull him down with sin. He resisted. He endured. And it wasn't just those three temptations that we read about in the, in the beginning of the Gospels. Jesus was tempted throughout his life and he endured. He was in it for the long haul, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He didn't have his focus set on what he was experiencing here, like so many of us do. Because we think as long as we're experiencing joy and peace and happiness, everything's good. But once some tough stuff hits us, all of a sudden we're not sure if this is worth it. Jesus had his eyes set not on his current experience, but on the joy that was set before him. On the joy that would come from completing the race that he was running. And now look where he is, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And his enemies are going to be made his footstool. Consider him then who endured such hostility from sinners so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. He's saying, actually, your struggle is real and the hardships that you're facing are real. But you haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And now we come to the key verse that I want us to to really get today. He tells them, have you forgotten the exhortation addressing you as sons? What is that exhortation? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. See, we forget that the relationship that we have to God as a son, as a daughter, includes discipline. From the Lord. We forget that it includes God sending things intentionally into our life to correct us and train us and discipline us. And we, number one, we can regard it lightly. We can, we can disregard what God is wanting to do. But we, we blame it on other stuff. We blame it on circumstances or we blame it on people who mistreat us. Or we blame it on the devil who's attacking us. And we forget that actually God allowed this circumstance into my life. Maybe it is an attack of the enemy. Maybe it is someone who wrongly mistreated me. God allowed it into my life for discipline, for my good. And when I regard it lightly or refuse to be changed by it, then it doesn't have the purpose that God intended for it. Nor be weary when reproved by him. Here's the other response that we have sometimes. We get crushed by the discipline that God brings into our life. We become weary of the struggle and, and we give up. Rather than being exercised by discipline, we begin to turn toward despair and self-pity. In chapter 10, whoever wrote Hebrews tells them that they need to recall the former days. They need to remember how they started out. How was that? Well, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves 
had a better possession and an abiding one. Look at how they started out. They had their attention fixed on a different kind of possession than their earthly goods, than their earthly success. And so they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. A lot of these people knew that becoming a Christian meant being ridiculed by their community, being rejected by the Jewish community or by the Gentile community that they were a part of. And oftentimes it meant the plundering of their property. Christians' property was taken away because they had become followers of Christ. But they had their sights fixed on something else that superseded what they were experiencing. And he says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive your reward. And that's the only way that you will receive your reward, is if you endure. If you endure to the end. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Did you know discipline is a proof of God's love to you? Jesus sent a message to the church in Laodicea. And I've wondered how I would feel if we would get a message like this. Sent from Jesus. He told them, it wasn't, this wasn't a self-affirming, good feel message. This was a stinging rebuke. He told them that they thought they were rich and prosperous and had need of nothing. But in fact, they were lukewarm. He said, you're, because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. In fact, he told them they were wretched and pitiable and blind and naked. And then he follows it up with these words. And I was really struck by this. He said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. As many as I love, I reprove and discipline. This message from Jesus was coming out of love. He told them where they were at because he loved them. And he wanted them to come to repentance and to return to what they had at first. He chastens, he disciplines every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. It's not the easy part of the Christian life that calls for endurance. It's not when you're on top of the mountain, but it's when you're battling with discouragement or sickness or unanswered prayer or death that you need endurance. It is for discipline that you have to endure. He's not calling you to endure the love and joy and peace and happiness that comes with being a follower of Jesus. He's calling you to endure the tough stuff, the discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? If you are left without discipline of which all are partakers, you are illegitimate children, not sons. So this is a defining part of being a child of God. You will experience discipline. No discipline equals illegitimate child. If you are not experiencing God's discipline in your life, you are not legitimately his child. That's what he's saying here. So, so if, we have, if we have that in view... 
Look at how that's going to change our perspective of the discipline that God brings into our life. There's a security that's brought about in a parent-child relationship, or maybe it's, maybe it's proven in a parent-child relationship by discipline. Think of the difference between um, a slave being beaten versus a child, a son, being disciplined, being scourged. That's the word it uses. Think of the difference in perspective and in outcome. The slave knows that he's being beaten. Why? Because his master wants to get max value out of him, right? Selfish and it's not for his own good. A son knows that he is being disciplined because of love. Because his father cares about the outcome in his life deeply. That's why he's being disciplined. If, if, you're, um, if you've done babysitting, you probably have some perspective on this as well. When, when you're taking care of a child that's not your own, and maybe you, don't have, you haven't been around that child much, um, you kind of try to avoid disciplining them, right? Because you don't have the relational equity there for, for discipline to be administered. However, when it's your own child, you have the relationship that is required to back that discipline, and you care deeply about that child's outcome. That's why you bring discipline into their life, because you really care about how they're going to turn out. You care about them developing character. You care about holiness in their life. And even though it's painful for you to see your child suffer because you love them more than you love almost anybody else in the world, You're willing to see them go through this because you want the outcome. And God is the same way to us. And he's saying, the discipline that I bring about in your life is actually proof of my love to you. And of our father-son, father-daughter relationship. If you don't receive discipline in your life, you're actually not his child. But if you receive that discipline, you can be assured that he's working it in you for good. Because of his love. He uses the the example of earthly parents. Earthly parents disciplined us and we respected them. Discipline is connected to relationship. It produces respect. In some regards it produces relationship. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? I looked at that and I was like, that's kind of odd language to use, right? The father of spirits. And, And then... I wondered if maybe he uses the father of spirits contrasting fleshly fathers, parents who see the outward. Okay, they care about your actions. They care about your behavior. They care about your physical well-being. But God is so much more than that. He's so much more than just about what you're doing outwardly or about your physical health or well-being. He cares about your spirit. He's actually the father of your spirit. See the confidence that comes from that, from knowing that actually he's about my spiritual well-being, not just about my physical well-being and behavior. Our earthly parents disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Again, that's just you know what they see outwardly, what they think will work, right? what they think will produce the right results. Can I get an amen from the kids? But God, he disciplines us for our good 
in contrast to our earthly fathers who think they discipline us for their good, right? But don't always get it right. I don't always get it right when I discipline my children. God always does. He always disciplines us for our good. His purpose is completely interwoven with his heart toward us. His heart of love for us. He disciplines us for our good. And listen to this next part. That we may share in his holiness. This is not just behavioral adjustment, but this is actually transformative discipline. If we receive it correctly, if we don't disregard it or regard it lightly, if we take it as discipline that's orchestrated by our Father, this is the outcome. Holiness. 1 Peter 5 says, We resist the devil, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by our brothers throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The suffering that God allows in our life is for this purpose, for the purpose of establishing us, of us learning endurance and endurance producing holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. It's not attractive or pleasant, and it's not a mountaintop experience. And if you've experienced discipline from the Lord, you know that. It can be brutally difficult. But I love that he uses the word seems. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. What, isn't it painful? Yeah, it actually is really painful, right? But it speaks to the fact that we're not just looking at the pain of the discipline. But we look beyond that to the outcome. We look to the holiness that God is working in us. We look to the fact that even though we don't enjoy this, and that this is a hard thing that we're walking through, and we wish God would answer our prayer and change our circumstance and bring healing and restoration, whatever it is that we're, we're wishing He would do, we look beyond that and we see the good things that he's accomplishing in us through the painful thing that we're walking through in the moment. Because we know later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. All discipline for the moment seems painful, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. In other words, you won't see the fruit immediately. Later you will see the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And if you don't have endurance, if you're not in it for the long haul, you will get discouraged and you will give up. But if your perspective is for the long haul, you know that God is working this for good in my life. Later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Think of how an athlete trains a lot of their training is not necessarily fun you we we see them you know in the moment of the the competition when adrenaline is surging and the crowd is cheering and and it looks like so much fun and that's why they do it they love it they love that that moment of competition and and the moment of glory when they actually win a competition but most of the training was nothing like that at all Most of it required repeating the same steps over and over and over again. And doing the same exercises when their muscles were burning and every fiber in their being was saying, Stop! This is no fun. 
when you start running, if you're not accustomed to running, you go out and you start running, you run a mile, and it, your, your body just cries out, stop! No part of you wants to continue with this. But because you have an end goal in mind, whatever that goal is, you push through the pain. And he's saying discipline is like this. You look, if you've been trained by it, you know that the outcome later is going to yield peaceable fruit of righteousness in your life. Just like the athlete pushes through the pain because they want what's on the other side. We push through the painful discipline that God brings in our life. That's why James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various kinds of trials, when you meet various kinds of trials, because you know what? Not that the trial is is fun or that it immediately produces something that you want in your life, but we know that long term, the testing of your faith will produce steadfastness. And let steadfastness, endurance, have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing so what is that perfection that completeness that he wants to bring about well he uses the example of job he says look at job look at what he went through when job started experiencing devastation in his life and he he lost first of all his property and then he lost all his family and then his wife turned against him and then his friends turned against him and accused him of covering up sin and obviously this is why god is bringing judgment to him He endured that patiently without knowing the outcome of it, without even knowing, understanding the purpose of it. And we have him as an example. You know what the outcome was for Job? I I love this. This is the best part of the book of Job, is when God shows up to Job and he just, he reveals himself to Job. He doesn't even give a good explanation of why he did what he did. We read it, you know, in the beginning of the book, we see the, the, the whole picture. I don't know if Job got to see that or not. God doesn't give him a clear explanation of why he did what he did. He simply gives Job a revelation of himself. And what's Job's response? He said, I had heard of you by the hearing of, you, of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Doesn't that sound like completeness? Like perfection? Really seeing God for who he is? And isn't that the majority of the purpose of the discipline that he brings into our life? Is simply giving us clarity on who he is? Giving us an eternal perspective instead of this darkened earthly perspective that we walk around with? Paul said in Romans 8, I consider the the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed. So what, is, what specifically is this discipline that God is bringing about in our life? I'm curious, if you look back over the last week or month, I wonder if there are specific things that pop into your mind. And you think, yeah, that was, that was God's discipline. Is it a little hard to, to find something? I wonder if, if maybe sometimes we completely miss it as discipline. We might think of discipline as being like a reprimand. You know, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and he says, hey, that was the wrong thing to do. Maybe that, that's discipline. But if we look at 
the context of this chapter here, it seems to be much broader than that. And I think that oftentimes we completely miss what God is bringing into our life as a means of discipline, and we simply chalk it up to being circumstances or people mistreating us or the devil attacking us or whatever else. Unfortunate circumstances. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners. This tells us that at least part of the discipline is coming from people who are hostile toward us. Sometimes it's well-meaning people. Sometimes it's people who aren't well-meaning and who really want to see us go down. But our, our natural response to that is to become angry at them, right? To blame them for what they're doing rather than to receive that as discipline from the Lord. Did you know Jesus experienced hostility from sinners for no good reason? And yet he never directed frustration and hatred and anger toward the people that 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 hostility came from. Why? Well, one, he had the joy that was set before him. And he knew what the outcome was going to be in the long run, right? He kept his eyes fixed on that. And number two, he had this perspective of God is bringing discipline into my life. In fact... It says that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. What about physical trials, physical need, or calamity, or problems that arise in our life that we think is simply, you know, it just happened that way, and, and we wish it would change. We looked last Sunday at how Jesus, when he was hungry, Satan came to him and, and he tempted him with, turning stones into bread, and how that Jesus referred back to the way that God had treated the children of Israel in the wilderness when he allowed them to hunger and he humbled them through their need so that he could teach them that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know what it says just a couple verses down from there? It says, know then in your heart that... As a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So he was actually disciplining the people of Israel through allowing them to experience hardship and need. And Jesus looked at that and he embraced it for himself. He said yes to that. And he embraced the discipline that the father brought into him. And it says that through, though he was a son, though he was a son, he learned obedience. And he wasn't just a son. He was the only begotten, beloved son of God. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Does that mean that there was some kind of disobedience in him that he had to unlearn and learn obedience? No, it meant that as he encountered choice after choice he always chose obedience through the things that he suffered and through that obedience it says he was made perfect not in the sense of having been imperfect before but in the sense of being a complete and perfect high priest who can identify with our weakness and our need and can reach us in that place of need and hardship and discipline right he actually identifies with us in that. There's a quote that I read a week or two ago, and I wish I could remember it, but the idea was this. I think it was G.K. Chesterton said, 
and I'm paraphrasing here, but the idea was this, that all the suffering that God allows in the world was for one purpose, so that he could enter into that suffering himself and demonstrate his redemptive love to us. Imagine that, that all the suffering that God allows in your life has that purpose, so he could show you that he himself entered into this very same suffering to show you just how much he loves you as a son, as a daughter. Doesn't that put different perspective onto our suffering? Onto the discipline that comes from the Lord? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Does God rebuke you? Does he chasten you? Does he bring discipline and scourging into your life? Don't despise it. And don't esteem it lightly. Value it. Value that difficulty that you're walking through. Because you know that God is working in you to produce perfection and to produce His holiness. Because you know the outcome of discipline. Because you hold in view that discipline is an essential part of being a son or being a daughter. Because you're fully convinced that the discipline of the Lord is motivated by love. And because you know that the outcome of the discipline that He's bringing into your life will be that you share in His holiness. Because of this, we can lift up the hands that hang down, the hands that are weary, and we can strengthen the weak knees that are about to give up because of the hard trail that we've been walking on. And we can make straight paths in front of us so that what is lame may not be put out of the way. And how do we make straight paths? By trusting in God, right? By acknowledging Him in all our ways. By recognizing that what is coming into our life is actually brought into our life by God. That's acknowledging Him in all our ways. Acknowledge Him. And He will put straight paths in front of you. Acknowledge Him, His hand in your circumstances. Acknowledge Him in your dealings with difficult people. Misunderstandings. Relationships that are hard. Acknowledge Him there. Acknowledge Him when Satan puts a thorn in your flesh. And you pray and ask God for it to be removed, but it stays there. And God says, I want you to learn. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Acknowledge Him in your struggle against sin. He's your Father. He disciplines you in love because He wants you to share in His holiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your incredible love to us. We look at the way that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He subjected himself to the discipline of the Father. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. God, sometimes we're, we give up so easily. We so easily think that the difficulties that we confront or the hard things that come into our life are just there by accident or it's just an attack of the enemy or it's just other people that misunderstand us and we don't see your hand in in it all. I pray that we as your people 
we'd become constantly aware of your hand in our life, of your guiding our circumstances, that you would give us the faith to believe in your active working in our lives when you don't answer prayer, when you say no, when you say, just wait, my grace is sufficient for you. When we're mistreated, when our struggle against sin is severe and we feel tired, let us see your hand in all of that. Let us turn to you with confidence, knowing that you are our Father. In Jesus' name, amen.